Well, it's good to be here. Um, good to see some faces from last week, and those of you that were not here last week, it's good to see you this week. Um, kind of a sad day in the life of our church. Uh, if you got the email this morning, Lee Young passed away. Um, so be praying for the Young family. Um, if you saw the email, there's been a couple of requests. Uh, no contacts to Diana right away, and do not send flowers, please. And as has been the case for most of um, most of this sickness, is please keep it off social media. Um, they'll post it when it's they feel it's the best time to post it. Um, please, please be praying for Diana. This is going to be hard on her as well as the kids. Um, but the loss of the father um, is is a very acute pain. So. Um, having experienced that myself, uh, I understand a little bit of what they're going through. So please keep them in your prayers. Uh, Leah, uh, sorry, Layla, um, has asked for um, prayer for uh, her neighbor's mother. Uh, the mother's name is Ann Moore. Um, she has been in the hospital, and they're doing what they can to help her. She is a professing believer, but they don't expect her to survive either. Um... But please be praying that if God, if it is God's will, that he will heal her. So they, they have asked that our church please pray for them. Um, any other prayer requests? Um, any other prayer requests besides the young family and, and more? Pray for Garrett. All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning with absolute understanding that we are unworthy of ourselves to stand before you, and that it's only through Christ that we have the freedom, the right, and the courage to be able to stand before you today. Um, Father, we, we, yeah, we know that you are in control of all things, and it's such an easy thing to say, and it's such a hard thing to live when things get hard. And we pray for the youngs, Lord. We pray that you just comfort their family. Help them know that regardless of what has happened, you still love them. And through this, you're trying to grow them to be more like yourself. We, probably, we pray for Ann Moore, uh, another uh, believer who is facing the end, Lord. And we pray for her family. And Father, we pray that uh, you will just, if it is your will, that you will heal. And if it is not your will, that you will give comfort and peace, knowing that she likely is standing before you today and that there is nothing to fear. Father, we thank you for your word, how it speaks to some of these hard issues, clearly if we're willing to look and listen. And Father, as we, as we approach a very difficult issue over the next couple of weeks, we pray that you will uh, keep us humble and open ears and open hearts to what you have to say and not what I am saying or what somebody else is saying, but what your word speaks into this situation. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you listened to the recording from last week or if you were here last week, I gave you homework. I'm a good teacher, so I always give homework. So part of your homework was to answer four questions. Um, what is race from society's perspective? What is race from the biblical perspective? 
what is racism from society's perspective and what is racism from the biblical perspective? Well, I'm going to tell you right now that the last two questions that we're going to touch on next week. Because for what I have to cover just for race, period, today is going to take most of today and probably all of tomorrow. Not really, but you understand what I'm saying. So for that first question, um, what does, where, where does society get its ideas of race? Where does society get its ideas of race? Well, we have some questions that kind of guide us through this. How long has the idea of race, as it's currently understood, been around? Any ideas? The idea of race, as it's currently understood, how long has it been around? About 107 years. That's it. Since about 1859. 1859 is when it was put into print. And, and published and became very popular. Well, who's the founder of the, uh, the idea of race as it's currently understood today? Charles Darwin. What are his primary works that facilitated this belief system? And some of us may know parts of this. We may not know all of this. You probably have heard of Origin of Species, right? That's the famous book. But have you ever looked at the whole title for Origin of Species? Because the printers today refuse to print the whole title. In its full form, on the Origin of Species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle of life. About the most racist statement that can be made in a publication, and it was highly acclaimed in 1859. Now, the interesting thing is, Origin of Species was not about humans. It was about birds. So what he did in his second book, The Descent of Man, was to take that premise that he made about birds, and this is the interesting thing, natural selection, meaning going from one type of animal to a different type of animal, even though the only evidence that he had was finches in the Galapagos Islands and the different types of beaks that they had. I'm sorry, it's still a finch. Hasn't changed animals. The beaks have changed. We call that adaptation today in the science language. But it didn't change into another type of animal. But this is the evidence that he presented to prove this theory of his. Well, in The Descent of Man, he takes this postulate from the first book and applies it to the human race and comes up with his five categories of race, which ultimately puts Caucasians at the top, and puts Negroids and Australoids at the bottom, uh, Negroes and, and people of the Aboriginal ancestry at the bottom, and everybody else fits in the middle of there somewhere. Usually Asians are right below the white. Okay. Now, this is the interesting thing. Don't let me get, well, don't let me get in my head of myself. You may know who Francis Galton is. Francis Galton is Darwin's cousin. And he's also the guy who founded the modern eugenics movement. <laughs> eugenics basically meaning we're going to filter out the negative races by only allowing the positive races to procreate. Okay, guess who one of the people that really bought into that was? Hitler was one. Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood. She was on board with that. Um, the U.S. public education system is on board with that. 
And I can say that as somebody who works in the public education system, and they don't say it this way, they say it this way. Well, this person, because of where he's coming from, because of who his family is, he's not smart enough to be able to do this. Same idea, just put in cleaner words. The U.S. social policy from 1960s forwards, the entire social program was founded on his theories. Now, this is the inter interesting thing. You and I are directly, indirectly, or unconsciously affected by this because we have grown up in this system. Now, you're thinking, well, Greg's about to go CRT on us. No, I'm not. But I think we do need to understand that, especially if you came through the public education system, Charles Darwin has been the foundation for everything science-related since, since 1859. And even some of the things that we don't see as racist have racist foundations. And we have to be careful. Not, not saying we have to change. I'm saying we have to be careful and understand what we're looking at and how we're interpreting it. Okay? Now, this is the interesting thing. Most true scientists today do not agree with Charles Darwin in print. They say his ideas of natural selection don't work and that it's adaptation which causes the changes in the species to other species and that's what causes evolution to happen. In other words, they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. Charles Darwin said it doesn't work, but it does work. It just works this way. The foundation is the same. Godlessness. Okay? Now, whichever picture you put on it, whichever way you choose to write it, it all is the same. Okay? Now, this is the evolutionary tree. Okay? And, and depending on which website you look at, depending on which scientists you're talking to, some of the orders may change a little bit, but the idea is this. One thing came before the other, and it didn't come after it. Okay? So fish, then birds, then animals, and then the animals kind of spread out into that canopy we know of the tree that has cattle and mammals and primates, and from the primates came human beings. That's the evolutionary tree. Now, let's talk about adaptation, because this is important. Okay? Remember I said that science doesn't prove the Bible, but the science can confirm what the Bible teaches. Okay? So you have to understand this. Mutation, which is what their favorite tool is, to talk about adaptation. Adaptation is caused by mutation. Mutation is what causes the change of that thing into something else. Well, the problem is mutation doesn't support uh, biological evolution. It supports the kinds talked about in the book of Genesis. And this is what I'm talking about. Whenever you deal with mutation or adaptation, you're dealing with something before that had more genetic information. And as it loses information, it changes into a different species of that same animal. So we're not talking about a dog turning into a cat. We're talking about a dog turning into a dog with less DNA because it's losing DNA along the path. And as Ken Ham, who's one of my favorite apologists on Genesis, would say, then it gets down to the Chihuahua, which isn't much of a dog by itself. So you kind of lost all the genetic information by the time you get down there. Um, but the idea is this. Evolutionary scientists want us to believe that through adaptation, more information is input into the system. And that's not actually what happens. There's a, there's a really great uh, scientist out there called Dr. Nathaniel Jensen who just wrote a book called um, Replacing Darwin. 
He's got a completely different perspective on the development of what we know of, of the races today, and I'm going to eventually kind of stop using that term but for until we get through this. The, the, how the races have come about today and how it's happened in the last uh, 1,500 to 1,600 years and not 15 million years. And he did his doctoral work at Harvard. So he's somebody that... You know, somebody from Liberty University or somebody from, um, what is it, uh, Columbia International, people are going to kind of scoff at, oh, it's a Christian college, of course, they're going to produce something like that. But this is a guy who went to Harvard who produced that information. So most people are now taking a new look at what he's saying because he's got the science to support his theory. But this is what he's talking about, is it's a loss of information. And be careful of the logical problems proposed by evolution because... They want to say evolution when they're talking about adaptation. They want to, When they say adaptation, they're talking about adding data, adding information, when all adaptation is is a loss of information. Well, how does that work? Well, if we go to dinosaurs, because I love talking about dinosaurs, because most people in the church go, talking about dinosaurs? The Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs. And it does. If you were in my sermon a couple months back, you didn't know that. Um, the Triceratops family. We all, we all, everybody knows the Triceratops, right? That's one we've always known um, growing up through school. But all of these different versions are part of the Ceratopsia kind. And this is pulled off of the Answers in Genesis website, but this was taken um, from a secular scientist who was talking about how all of these animals came from the same family. And a lot of people think that family and kind are interconnected, but we haven't been able to find a scientific term that matches what the biblical term of kind is. Family is probably closest, um, but it's not ac completely accurate. Well, ha how does that apply to people? Well, because when we look at um, this picture, we see five different, in our world today, five different races, right? But are they different races? And this is always my first argument when I when I teach my lessons in school on heredity, which we're going to do a little bit of heredity before we're done, um, is there's only one race. It's the human race. And, and I get into this discussion with the students. Okay, you see all of those people up there. I'm going to give you $100, okay? And I'm going to take from you the amount of money that is different from each of those people. And most of them think, oh, there's a lot of difference there, so he's just going to take $1 or $2, right? And I take 99 of those. Of all of those people in their DNA, 99% of their DNA is exactly the same. Okay? With me so far. Now I'm going to take that $1 that's left, and I'm going to break it up into 100 pennies. And now I'm going to say to my students this. I said, now I'm going to take from you all the money that's sitting in front of you, where those differences are things that we can see, physically see. Eye, skin color, shape of the face, things that we can physically see. And I take 99 cents. So less than 1% of 1% of your DNA is different from each of those people in a visible perspective. Yet that's all that we focus on in the United States today. Now, are there differences? Yes, but as uh, the, um, I keep saying Discover Education, that's not it. A National Geographic article in the last two years has put out that 
race is a construct of society. It's not a construct of science. Well, thanks for finally getting on board. Because it is. Race is a construct of society. It's not a construct of science. Charles Darwin wanted to make it about science, but he didn't have the science to support his beliefs. So let's talk about the science from a biblical perspective. Right? So this is a Punnett square, and I know when I was in high school, I hated these things because I struggled with figuring them out. But now I've got a connection to something that I understand and like, so now it makes sense. Okay, So Adam and Eve. Let's say that Adam and Eve, the, the, the first two human parents, had a structure of just for skin color. Now we're just talking skin color because that's what everybody focuses on, right? Just skin color. So capital A, lowercase a, capital B, lowercase b. So that's Adam's DNA for skin color. And that's Eve's DNA for skin color. Now when you do a Punnett square, you take each of those, those alleles, the A and the B, and you split them up. So you take the capital A and the capital B, and then you take the capital A and the lowercase b. And then you take the lowercase a and the capital B, and the lowercase a and the lowercase b, and you split them up. And that's the pairs that's possible for your offspring to get from the parent. And then you do the same thing with the mother. So now you've got the mother's, mother's alleles separated, the father's alleles separated. Now you squish them back together. So we bring them together. The A's together, the B's together. The A's together, the B's together. And we do that through the whole thing. And what you discover by doing this is using just this Punnett square, this parent has about nine different possible offspring with nine different um, shades of their skin color. And that's just coming from Adam and Eve. So in one generation, one single generation, Adam and Eve could have had just from this what's here four completely different shades and skin color from their children. And people wonder how we get the different colored people on the planet. Now, this is the thing that makes it even more astounding. There are 125 different genes for skin pigmentation, not two. 125 different genes for skin pigmentation, not two. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means this. Number of known atoms in the universe, 10 to the 80th power. That's a one with 80 zeros behind it. That's how many atoms there are in the universe. Number of electrons that can fit into the known universe. 10 with 130th power. That's a 1 with 130 zeros behind it. That's the number of uh, uh, electrons that can fit in the known universe. Number of children with different skin tone from two parents. 10 to the 200, uh, 2017th power. And we wonder why people look so differently. Now, these numbers are based off of current genetic information. Most of us do not have the genetic information that Adam and Eve had. Most of us have one of these others. And looking across this room, most of us are going to be on this low end. And we're missing a lot of the bigger letters. And you wonder, people want to ask, how can the kinds develop so many different animals? This is how. If God can do that with just the two children of two, two adults, imagine what he could have done with a complete DNA set for each of the animals that he created in the beginning. People are like, oh, we're losing animals every day. We probably lost more than you realize because we're left with what's left after 5,000 years of the fall. <laughs> 
and so many things dying. So, let's take this to Scripture. What does the Bible say about this? <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> so, let's just start with some review. And I'm going to give you the first one. You can give me the rest of them. All right? So, day one, God created light and dark. Day and night. What did he create on day two? What? Earth and water, what we call sky and the expanse. Actually, earth and water is not day two. The sky was day two. And then, Garrett, what's on day three? Earth and water. And that's Genesis 11, 1, 11 to 13. We're going to be spending a little bit of time in Genesis, so you may want to turn there. What do you create on day four? Sun, moon, and the stars. Very good. Sun, moon, and the stars. Now, uh, Genesis 1... Verses 20 to 21, what did he create on day 5? Sea creatures. What else? Birds of the earth. Wow. Sea creatures, which would be fish, but it would also be crabs and shrimp and things that they said were that, that evolved years, millions and millions of years before the rest of the animals. And the sea mammals... Whales, dolphins, which were, according to the evolutionary tree, not, not, evolved, not evolved for another millions of years. And birds, which, according to the evolutionary tree, were, <clears throat> were uh, a step down from the reptiles and the evolutionary ladder. All of these things created on day five. And what was created on day six? was created on day six? Man. Land animals. More specific than land animals? Let's, let's kind of spread this out. Verses 24 and 28. 24 to 28. Land animals, I would consider that the cattle. What else did he create? Creeping things. That could be our... Um, Snakes, that could be our bugs, that could be our earthworms. What else did he create? Cattle, and he separates it into two groups. Cattle and beasts of the field. Okay, so cattle, that's the kind of the animals that we have domesticated, and then beasts of the field, the things that we generally don't domesticate. Okay, and in verse... 25, and God made the beasts of the field on the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. <clears throat> so things didn't come from other groups. They were created in their group. Going back to that idea of the DNA, they were created with enough DNA that as they followed God's command, verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and this is the, the call to, the, to Adam and Eve, but he gives this, it's basically the same call to the, to the animals. You've got to fill the earth. Do you think that God's going to call the Adam and Eve to fill the earth and not send the animals to fill the earth? It's not going to happen, especially when we get to chapter 9 and the, uh, the, the dinner plate uh, menu changes. 
right? So we're going to get that, all right? So land creatures, cattle, beasts, creepers, and, and man. So then something tragic happens, Genesis chapter 3. And this is where all of our problems start. And I'm not talking just about sin in general term. I'm talking about the race problem in a specific term. This is where all of our problems start. And you're going to see this as we develop through the next couple of chapters. Genesis 3, 16 to 20. To the woman he said, I greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you. I'm going to stop for a second. I really should come back to this in two weeks when I'm going to be teaching about this, but I want to make this point. Is God saying that he shouldn't listen to his wife? What's the, what's the uh, implied meaning here? You listen to your wife instead of listening to me. That's the implied meaning. He's not saying you shouldn't listen to your wife. He's saying that God should be your first ear not your second. Don't uh, Some people will take that and run with it. That doesn't mean you should never listen to your wife, especially for somebody who doesn't know very much like me, and I have a wife who really helps me, and I've learned that. Okay? So don't take that wrong. And have eaten about the tree from which I commanded you. There it is, right? I commanded you. You're ignoring me for her. You shall not eat from it. Cursed from the ground is the ground because of you. And toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread. So I can blame Adam for this leaking that constantly happens when I'm setting up. Um, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and, and you are dust, and to dust you will return. Now this is, this is verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was... Mother of all the living. It can't get much clearer than that, folks. Eve was all of our mamas, including people that are not at grace right now, that look different than we do. Okay, well, let's jump to Genesis chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. And all flesh that moved on the earth perished. Now this is, this is uh, Noah's flood, God's flood that Noah got to ride through. And all flesh that moved on earth perished. And all flesh that moved on earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms. And all mankind. Of all that was on dry land, all whose nostrils were the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky. They were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark. So at this point, Adam, was, Adam and Eve were the progenitors of all human life. Now all human life has been wiped out, and now all that's left is Noah, Mrs. Noah, and his three sons, uh, Noah Jr., 1, 2, and 3. <clears throat> All right, now go to chapter 9, verse 1. 
And God blessed Noah and his sons and said, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Slide down to verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Okay, do you catch God's command to them? Noah, Mrs. Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives, given the command to fill the earth, to populate it. Now, remember Genesis chapter 3, man sinned. Man's heart is deceitfully wicked, as Jeremiah likes to say. Uh, jump to Genesis chapter 10, verse 32. Now, these are the families, and this the chapter 10 is just going through. Chapter 10 is just going through um, Noah's family tree. Okay, what's coming from Shem, what's coming from Ham, what's coming from Japheth, going through Noah's family tree. These are the families of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies by their nations. And out of these nations were separated on the earth after the flood. Now, here we get the word nations, not races. Nations, the word that's for peoples. Okay? There's no distinction other than this is the people of this group, this group of people. Okay? Now, chapter 11, verse 4. Remember God's command. Fill the earth. Right? And they said, and this is the Tower of Babel in the land of Shinar. Come, let us build for ourselves a city, a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. God said, fill the earth, and you say, uh-uh. So what's his response? Verse 7. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, why do we have people all over the planet that look differently and that speak differently? Well, they look differently because Adam and Eve had enough DNA that as they spread out and the environment that God allowed them to live in started weeding out some of those those weaker DNA genes for the ones that would make them so successful to survive where they were at. Why do they have a different language? Because God said, you're going to do what I told you to do, and the only way I'm going to make it happen is to confuse your languages so that you have to go somewhere and spend time with just other people. He created the nations. We're not talking about a race of people. We're talking about nations. So let's jump to Acts 17.26. And God is going to just repeat what I just told you. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundary of their habitations, that they should seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not very far from any of us. So race, from the societal perspective, is a complete, it goes right along with the fall, right? It's a complete misrepresentation of God's nations or God's people groups that he created in the Bible. So what does that mean for us? 
Uh, turn to Romans chapter 1. We're gonna, we've worked our way through Genesis. Now let's work our way through Romans. Specifically, what does God say about race? Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is a power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You have to remember, um, the Jewish people, when they refer to people that are not Jewish, Gentile is their preferred term. But if they're not talking about Gentiles, they lump everybody in one group, the Greeks. They're either Jew, and at this time, when Paul was writing Romans, the main force in the world was the Greek Empire. And then, the Roman Empire. But what you don't may not understand is as the Romans took over Greece, they inculcated all of Greece's beliefs and standards and, and their languages. So when they say the Greek, they're still talking about the Romans. So that Greek language traveled through the Roman Empire. So when he's talking about the Jews and the Greeks, that's all he's in reference to. He's not calling out a specific people group. He says us and them is what he's saying. It's for everyone. And he just specifies us and them. Romans 2.9. One page over in my Bible. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But the glory in God, glory and honor and peace to every man who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. There is no partiality with God. Okay? color of your skin don't matter. What country you come from don't matter. What language you speak don't matter. You still stand on the same ground as every other person on this planet when it comes to God. Romans chapter 3 verse 9. What then? And now here, here it is, right? You, you can hear the racism coming from this because Paul's a Jew. He knows what Jews are thinking. What then? Are we better than them? Not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. Not even one. Not even me. You can hear him saying it. Not even me. And then we jump to Romans 10. And if you spent any time in the Baptist church, Romans 10, 9, and 10 should be engraved into your brain. Right? But like most good Baptists, we stop reading after verse 10. <clears throat> so let's continue reading to verse 12. Uh, chapter, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is the Lord of all abounding in riches for all who call upon his name. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. You're saying that you're, you're repeating yourself. You're going over the same thing over and over again. Remember last week? Sometimes we need things repeated to help us remember them. And some people are going to say to me, well, you haven't given me anything to talk to people about. Well, I want to make sure that your mind and your heart's in the right spot before you talk to anybody else. Because that's the struggle that I've had. Wanting to fix other people before I fix myself. So let's worry about us first, and we'll worry about everybody else later. Okay? Romans 1, 24. I'm going to just start back at 22. 
For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Who's called? Both Jews and Greeks. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. We're doing a, we're doing a New Testament flash here. For by one spirit we were all baptized into body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. Galatians 3.28. Three more verses and I'm going to stop torturing you. This is repetitive of 1 Corinthians here. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. He's talking about our place in Christ is what he's talking about there. Colossus. Uh, last big jump here. Nope, second to last. Colossians 3.11. I'm going to start back at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew uncircumcised or circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all in all. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And some of you are like, it's about time we got back to 1 Peter because you started in 2 Peter last week, right? So is there a race talked about in the Bible? And the answer is yes. And we're about to talk about that. But it's not what you think. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. There are two races on this planet. And you know where, where I get that? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not, this is, the, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what is partnership, what partnership does rightness, righteousness and lawlessness have? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So are, are there races in the Bible? Yep, and there's two of them. Those that believe and those that don't. And the only distinction that Scripture says for those two is that they're not supposed to marry. So, here's my question. Two, two white, a white girl and a white guy, both believers, can they get married? White guy, black girl, both believers, can they get married? Yes. Both believers, yes. White guy, white girl, one's a believer, one's an unbeliever. Can they get married? No. Right there, for, uh, 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 6.14. You don't have to agree with me. It's right here. Those are the two races that Scripture speaks of. 
those that are the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the bride of Christ, and those that are not. But the other side of that is this. We need to get rid of our evolutionized terms, especially when we're talking in the church. So moving forward, I'm not going to be speaking of races. I'm going to be speaking of people groups, ethnic groups, because that's what they are. Nations is the biblical term. The Greek term is ethnos, which just means nations or peoples. So we need to get rid of our evolutionized terms of races because that's it's all, and it's funny, people will scream that they don't agree with Darwin, but they continue to use Darwin's language. And we do too. Remember, subconsciously or indirectly, we are still facing the same problems. We are committing the same sins. Okay? Stop using the world's language and start using the biblical language. Because only then will you know that you're speaking correctly. We have to stop talking about races. We have to start talking about them and us. And it's ingrained in some of us. It really is. So the biblical view started with Adam and Eve. Went to their sons and daughters. Oh, this is a great question I always get. Who is Cain's wife? Who is Seth's wife? I'll give you three guesses and the first two don't count. Adam and Eve had, Genesis 5-4, sons and daughters. Now remember, going back to the DNA question, right? If they had the full DNA set, today's, today, today's um, laws and beliefs that we shouldn't marry in close, res close relatives is in place for a good reason. Over 5,000 years, there's been a lot of drift in our DNA. So a lot of people have flaws in their DNA. So two of those people that have the same flaw match up, then they have problems with their, their children. They didn't have that problem because in the beginning, Adam and Eve had pure DNA, perfect DNA, unfallen DNA. And it was just over generations that those mistakes started coming in. That's why not until you get to Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy does God say, now it's time to stop marrying a close relative. Because he saw what was coming. And he was ready for it, and he applied it when it was necessary. But yes, Cain and, Abel, Cain and Seth married their sisters. Okay? But if you read anything by Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, who's the, the new guy who put out the book on um, replacing Darwin, you're going to discover really quickly that uh, we're all a hot, lot closer related than you probably are comfortable with. Because all of us have a common ancestor within the last 15 generations. Every single one of us, according to his research. So, if that's something that interests you, I would encourage you to get his book and go through it. It's a science textbook, so it's um, I'm slowly sorting my way through it. But it's some pretty interesting reading, and he has biblical foundations for his beliefs. So take the time to do that. The Noah and the sons, the people at the Tower of Babel, separating us into different people groups and cultures. Now, something I said a minute ago about... Um, a white person and a black person getting married or an Asian person or a, an English person getting married. There are other questions that have to be asked. Have you discussed the cultural differences? Because there are going to be differences that need to be dealt with. But this, should that prohibit you from getting married? No. But don't go blindly. Don't allow your friends and family to go blindly into that thinking that just because they're both Christians, everything's going to be okay. You and I both know we each carry our own baggage. And you got to sort through the baggage. So I wanted to preface that. I'm going to come back to that when I talk about 
family roles uh, in two weeks. So, but I did want to preface that. This is the thing, and this is one of the things I continually tie back to. This never changes. Jesus said, Matthew 4, 4, it is written, and it's only ever been written once. Science textbooks change year to year, month to month, week to week, day to day. And you know that because everything that's been happening in the last 24 months, we've gotten different information every week. Science changes. It does. You figure out new stuff every day. Sometimes the interpretation of it is correct, sometimes it's not, and we go and try to find new information. That's why Scripture is trustworthy in science when it confirms what Scripture teaches, but not the other way around.